0: You're listening to the Word of Life AG podcast. We're so glad you're getting caught up on the message. Today, we continue our summer sermon series titled I Am with a message from Pastor Tom Wood titled The Light of the World. Let's check it out. Well, good morning. It's great to see everybody. So glad that you're able to come and be a part of church this morning. Uh, I had a chance to meet a number of new folks this morning that are coming to hang out. Hope you feel a massive welcome. Hope you feel that this is a time of encouragement, refreshing, possibly even a challenge. But so glad to be able to come and be a part of church with us. And I don't mind saying, everybody, this is the perfect chance to invite somebody to church because who's got anything better to do on a summer Sunday morning than come to church? Come on, somebody. The enthusiasm was real. All right. We are in a summer series, and if you're not able to be church uh, on a Sunday morning, which I completely understand, of course, people have different responsibilities, weekends away, vacations, different things calling, uh, different responsibilities, different stuff happening, people from out of town, all that stuff, I understand that church in the summertime is uh, not necessarily as easy and as consistent as typical, but please catch up with the series online. Uh, As we dug into this and as we've spoken with the pastoral team that are going to be sharing through this message series, I really think there's going to be some blessing in here. There's going to be something good for you in here, so if you're not able to be in church present... Next best thing is to be a part of Church Online. Let's give a holler to Church Online. If you're not able to be a part of Church Online, catch up with the message, catch up with the whole service after the fact. It'd be great for you to be able to be a part of that. But here we are, week three of this series. Week one, we got off to a start and we looked at Jesus declaring, I am. I am. And that's what this whole series is. There are seven times in John's gospel where Jesus says, I am something. And we started off with an introductory week looking at the significance, the weight of those two little words, I am. We looked back at the Old Testament where God came to Moses and revealed himself as I am who I am. And how Jesus pointing to that and saying, that's me. This is me. I am who I am. This is me. I am the significance of that, the weight of that. And it was so significant that it enraged people to the point where they were willing to pick up stones to kill Jesus. And then week two, last week, Megan did a wonderful message talking about that I am the bread of life, that God is our sustenance. That we really need to ask ourselves, why don't we trust God to provide for our needs? I am the bread of life. I am your provider, your sustenance, and giver of life. That was last week. And then this week, we're going to be looking at I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. So we'll get into some more details around this later on. But I am the light of the world. The way that Jesus used that phrase to describe himself. It points to an Old Testament period of 40 years where the pillar of cloud would guide the Israelites by day and the pillar of fire would guide them by night while they were traveling through the wilderness towards the promised land. Now, I think it's amazing that by day, it was this pillar of cloud, and then at night, it would somehow transform and morph into a pillar of fire. Now, when you were a kid, did your parents say to you, you can stay out and play, but as soon as the streetlights come on, it's time to come in? Anybody else have that? I can imagine these Israelite parents saying, as long as the pillar is cloud, you can play. As soon as it turns to fire, it's time to come in. All right, I'm not going to lie. When I thought about that at home, it was a lot funnier than you responded. (laughs) This is why I should test my jokes with Megan. All right. But this is the image. This pillar of fire, this is the image that Jesus chose to help bring understanding about who He is. And we'll look at the details of that more in a little bit. But for 40 years, this pillar of fire provided guidance, direction, even motivation to keep going. It pushed people to keep moving to get towards the promised land. And that is what Jesus points to to help people understand who He is and what His mission is. This past week, we had an elders meeting, and Tony, one of the elders, said something that was completely unrelated to the message. He didn't know what we were going to be talking about today, but it stuck with me this week, so I thought it was worth sharing with you. Tony said this as part of our meeting, we never accidentally drift into anything that's God-honoring. We never accidentally drift into anything that's God-honoring. And this is demonstrated by God giving that pillar of fire to the Israelites, And later, he would send his son to be the light of the world It's to stop that drifting. The pillar of fire, it gave guidance, it gave direction. And Jesus pointed to that and said, I'm the light of the world. And he would provide that guidance, that direction. So let's look at what Jesus said, and then we're going to consider what this has to say about living a life of purpose, direction, rather than drifting. So this is a passage we're going to look at in John 8. This is the end of a busy festival that happened in Jerusalem. Jesus is speaking in a crowded part of the temple courtyard. And he says this in John 8, verse 12. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. I am the light of the world. Let's pray for a moment. If you don't mind just uh, bowing heads, praying with me. Lord. Take this word, take this message as we consider what it means for you to be the light of the world, what it means for us to no longer walk in darkness, what it means for us to walk in your light. Lord, help us have open hearts to this. Lord, help us to be ready to receive from you. Lord, I pray the words of Tom Wood would fade to the background, but your words would grab a hold of our hearts, transform us, shape us, mold us, challenge us to be the people you've created us to be. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. amen. So Jesus, he was on to say, if you follow me, if you follow me, I am the light of the world, if you follow me, and to follow is to move, it's to progress, it's to advance, to let me be the one that you're focused on, to let me, Jesus, be the one you're focused on, to let me be the one that you're following in your life, that your life is headed for. The call is to follow him. And this comes up over 20 times in the New Testament. Within the Gospels, Jesus gives the command and the invitation to follow me. And in this passage, we're given an explanation why. So you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. The promise is that not walking in darkness is what Jesus does. That's why there's this invitation to follow him. So we don't have to walk in darkness, but rather following him into the light leads to life And Megan hit on this last week as she talked about the bread of life. She gave a definition, and I'll share it with you again today, the Greek word for life is zoe, which the good definition of this is that it's life both of physical and of spiritual existence. Life both of physical and of spiritual existence is that wholeness. That life, that sense of being whole, complete, physically and spiritually. And the thought that came to me as I was trying to make sense of this and trying to think about what I can bring to the church that I hoped would be helpful, that I hoped would be encouraging, and the thought that I came up with is this, that followers of Jesus can live with purpose, freedom, and promise. Followers of Jesus can live with purpose, freedom, and promise. And I'll be honest with you, I'll level with you, I was hesitant to write that down because part of me felt that it was two self-help kind of motivational speaker-sounding buzzwords, But after pausing, after considering it, it's faithful to the text. And we're going to walk through it in just a moment. But I also realized, I was writing this down, that these are words that I use frequently within sermons. It's not unusual for me to talk about on a Sunday morning the idea of purpose or freedom and promise. And the more I thought about it, the stronger I felt about it. Because there is an enormous lack of purpose, freedom, and promise in the world today. When was the last time someone over 60 complained that young people had too much purpose? I don't talk to parents of teenage kids that tell me that their kids have too much joy, too much freedom, too much peace, but they're very quick to tell me that their high schoolers are weighed down by pressure, anger, and confusion. Just imagine. What difference it would make if people were living with a strong awareness of promise and confidence, not in ourselves, not in government, not in culture, not in the empty promises in the world, but confidence in the promise of God. Imagine the difference it would make if people were driven by a confidence in who God is. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Purpose if you follow me freedom you won't have to walk in darkness promise you will have the light that leads to life I want to take some time in the message and I want to walk through those three things and I I believe there's some helpful stuff here I am the light of the world gives purpose if you follow me I am the light of the world it gives purpose if you follow me it was 20 years ago this year that the book the purpose-driven life was released The Purpose Driven Life, I'm sure many of you have read it, many of you have read it multiple times, I'm sure. But it's gone on to become one of the best-selling Christian books of all time. At the moment, the best I could find from Googling it this week is that as many as 35 million copies have been bought. It's so popular that they even make a joke about it in the office. Moving on. Whether you've read it or not, whether you like it or not, It indisputably shows that over the last 20 years, the hunger to get a sense of purpose in our lives has been through the roof. Millions of people buying a book about gaining purpose is a clear indicator that we feel it's missing in our lives. One article I read this week even charted a 27-year study that concluded that living with a sense of purpose was directly related to life expectancy. It's undeniable. That there's something in us that wants to live with purpose. We need a sense of purpose. As a Christian, I would explain that our lack of purpose stems from our broken relationship with God. But that should mean that a significant part of living in a restored relationship with God is gaining a sense of purpose and meaning to life. If our our lack of purpose, if our lack of direction, if our lack of meaning is rooted and stemmed and caused by a broken relationship with God, that should mean that as we live as believers with our faith and our confidence and our trust in Jesus as the Lord of lords, King of kings, the one that died for you and me and rose again on the third day, if our faith is restoring our relationship with the Father, that should mean the purpose and meaning is being rebuilt in our lives. If someone says to you, let's go somewhere, follow me, every person in this room would say the same thing. Where are we going? It doesn't matter who's saying this, that's what we would all say. If someone says, let's go somewhere, follow me, first question, where are we going? If the person in response said, I'm not telling you, but I promise if you follow me, you'll find life. The question that each of us would have is, do I trust this person? For those of us that have committed to following Jesus, That's what we've done. We don't know where following him is going to lead. We don't know what challenges we'll face along the way. We don't know who else we're going to be traveling with. But we trust the promise that this is going to lead to true life. That, my friends, is faith. I don't know the details, but Jesus, I trust you. I trust that you are the light of the world that can help me escape the darkness, escape from being hidden and afraid and ashamed and lost. And instead, I can follow you and live in the light. I can enjoy freedom and peace. There's a mixture of certainty and uncertainty when we make the decision to follow Jesus. Uncertainty includes where we're going. For example, I did not have any comprehension when I was a kid that I would end up in central New York married to an American girl with three awesome kids. And here we are. We don't know what challenges we're going to have along the way. We don't even know what specific tasks we're going to be doing to fulfill this purpose. But what we are certain of is who we are following. We are certain that we are following the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the Savior of the world, the Son of God. And what's going to happen when we follow Him we can be certain that he pulls us out of darkness and into light. This is our purpose. As spiritual as it is, it's also practical. This being pulled out of darkness into light, it will show itself practically in our everyday lives. When we commit to get out of the darkness, God moves. Our lives start to change. We're going to get ourselves straightened out. We get stronger and healthier emotionally and mentally. We're gonna start telling the truth and living a life where it's easy to tell the truth. We're not gonna hide sin in the darkness and let it grow. We're gonna take responsibility for ourselves. We're gonna have the courage to get help when we need it. We're gonna be good neighbors and good employees. We're gonna do it right and properly, not look for shortcuts. We'll achieve things that are worthwhile. We'll look at today and reflect, how can we be better tomorrow? We'll teach others the helpful things that we've learned. We'll be open to find out how God will use us to make a difference in the lives of others. We're not going to hide and wait for the world to happen. We're going to live with a sense of adventure. But we're going to emerge from the darkness, ready to find out what living in the light means Find out what living and following Jesus looks like. We're going to prioritize his purpose, his freedom, and his promise above anything else the world can offer. When he says, I am the light of the world, we respond with a life-changing commitment because we're done with the darkness. Amen. <laughs> Within this call, to follow Jesus is your life's purpose. We're going to start by getting out of the darkness and into the light, and we should all have 100% certainty that our purpose and meaning as we follow Jesus is to help others get out of the darkness and into the light, not for our benefit, but for theirs. As we follow Jesus, we learn about His love for people. His love for people changes us and creates in us a love and concern for others, and that will result in action, not words, not well-wishing, but action. There will always be ways to help, there will always be people to relieve, there will always be opportunities to make a difference. In this way, every believer will have a purpose, a sense of meaning, a cause, and a motivation. Get out of darkness and help others get out of darkness. I am the light of the world. Second thing brings freedom, brings freedom. You won't have to walk in darkness. Now, the Greek for dark or darkness, it has the same connotation as it does in the English in that it refers to uh, shadows or dimly lit areas or nighttime. But the word darkness is also used figuratively to describe something as sinister or menacing, which is similar in English. We'll talk about someone having a dark sense of humor, and we all know what that means. And of course, as we think about why is this the case, why do we connect sinister and evil and menacing and, and nefarious things with nighttime? I think it's the simple fact of, you know, the lights are down, you can't really see You can't be on guard as well. This is prime opportunity for people with bad motives to do unspeakable things. Happens in the darkness. More violent crimes happen at night than they do in the day. This is so much so that if, if something happens during the day that's violent or upsetting, we will even express with surprise, and I can't believe it happened in broad daylight. It's become an expression because we don't expect these things to happen in the light. These are the things that are typical and normally happen within the darkness. And the imagery and understanding, it remains the same today as it did 2,000 years ago. So when we hear Jesus say, don't live in the darkness, we already know what he means. We already know what he means when he says, don't live in the darkness, is don't live with lies growing in our lives. Don't live with a sense of secrecy about being one person here and another person somewhere else. About being one person in private behind closed doors and a completely other person when people are watching. Living in darkness, scheming and selfishness, We understand what it means when Jesus says, don't live in the darkness. We have no questions about what that means. We already know. And the sad truth is being stuck in the darkness means reaping what we sow in the darkness. People stuck in the darkness will reap harvests, including a lack of trust, isolation, brokenness, fractured relationships, and especially hopelessness. I spent some time in my years in ministry working with teens with extreme uh, behaviors, extreme violence and rage, really extreme scenarios. Not a lot of time, but enough. And I've spoken to a number of people that this is what they do routinely is they work with extreme troubled teens that are violent and uh, moments of rage. And one unifying thing that all these kids have in common is no hope. No belief that today can get any better. No belief that this time next year, life might actually look pretty good compared to how it looks today. Now, I don't know enough, and I'm certainly not qualified to draw big conclusions from this. But I do think it's worth considering that these young people with extreme rage, violence in their lives, that despite having their whole lives ahead of them, despite being young, and there's decades ahead to look forward to, hope is completely missing. And there are, of course, many complicated reasons how someone gets to the point of having zero hope. But when Jesus makes a bold declaration to anyone and everyone, you don't have to walk in the darkness. It's another example of the message of Jesus being a message of hope. That today's reality can change. You don't have to live stuck in the darkness, lies, deception, shame, brokenness, and fear. Because he is the light of the world and his invitation is an invitation to freedom. And if we stop living in the darkness, then we can stop reaping our harvest in the darkness. We can stop living in the consequences of the darkness. We can stop living lost in hopelessness and dysfunction. There's a few times in the New Testament where the followers of Jesus are called children of light. That can be you. That is a message of hope from Jesus. Now, as much as any other time in history, we need to remember that you don't have to walk in darkness. And this is an important part of the message of Jesus, that we can live in freedom, not just a theory, but real life, honest to goodness, freedom. First thing was, light of the world gives hope. Second thing, brings freedom. Third thing, I am the light of the world, makes a promise. You will have the light that leads to life. You will have the light that leads to life. Now throughout the Old Testament, God being the source of light is very frequent. God being represented in fire or something illuminating. It's very common throughout the Old Testament. You see this when God created the heavens and the earth, you know, the first things that happened, you know, the earth was void and chaotic, let there be light. The Spirit of God hovered over the surface of waters, let there be light. When we have Moses at the burning bush, not a coincidence, fire, God. Pillar of fires, we already talked about. The Psalms describe God as my light and my salvation. We have the moment Elijah at Mount Carmel. God is going to rain down fire and burn up this sacrifice. And oh boy, did the fire rain down and burn up the sacrifice. Ezekiel the prophet in his book a number of times uses light as imagery. Jesus in the temple. The passage that we read from John 8:12, He's there in the temple in Jerusalem. And there have been the festival of tabernacles and it's come to an end. And this festival, the part that Jesus is referring to, when this takes place, it's pointing back to the pillar of fire. This is important for us to grab a hold of this. A crowd of people has gathered. They're celebrating this festival together. And at the moment where they're remembering the pillar of fire that led their ancestors for 40 years through the wilderness, that is when Jesus steps in and says, I am the light of the world. But one of the commentaries I read this week, it share some details about what was happening in the temple when Jesus came in. The stage had been set for Jesus to declare, I am the light of the world. So let's read this together. There's something really helpful here as they go into the details. Describing this portion of the ceremony, we got four large stands, each held four golden bowls. These were placed in the heavily used court of the women where both men and women could get off- give offerings. These 16 golden balls reached by ladders were filled with oil and used the worn clothing of the priest for wicks. When they were lit at night, all Jerusalem was illuminated. In a world that did not have public lighting after dusk, this light shining from Jerusalem's yellow limestone walls must have been spectacular. On this final day of tabernacles, Jesus is teaching in the treasury located within the court of women. Imagine the scene. In the very court where the lighting ceremony takes place, Jesus stands beneath 16 lit bowls of oil and says that he is not only the true light of Jerusalem, but of the whole world. In that moment, I am the light of the world. Now specifically, this ceremony... It commemorated the pillar of fire that the Israelites were guided by for 40 years in the wilderness. And if you know the story from Exodus, God needed to guide his people as a whole nation as they journeyed from the Red Sea to the Promised Land. By day, it was the pillar of cloud, and by night, it was the pillar of fire. When it stopped, the people would have stopped. When it moved, the people would have moved. In the same way, Jesus saying, Follow me, gives purpose and meaning because it gives direction, it means forward movement. Don't wander aimlessly, don't drift follow me. It's no coincidence that Jesus used that Old Testament picture of the pillar of fire to help people understand what following the light of the world would mean. The nation of Israel needed guidance, direction, the push to keep moving forward, to keep progressing towards the promised land. Drifting doesn't go well. They needed that direction. As they walked through the wilderness, they needed that guidance. They needed to know when it was time to get up and get moving, when it was time to stop and wait. They needed guidance and direction. Drifting doesn't work. I want to read this proverb to you that describes a scenario of someone drifting. Proverbs 9.13. The woman named Folly is brash. She is ignorant and doesn't know it. This is poetic. This is an analogy. This is an illustration. But it hits home the point. Verse 14, she sits in her doorway on the heights overlooking the city. She calls out to men going by who are minding their own business. Come in with me, she urges the simple. To those who lack good judgment, she says, stolen water is refreshing. Food eaten in secret tastes the best. But little do they know that the dead are there. Her guests are in the depths of the grave. And how many of you know they're not really talking about stolen water and they're not really talking about food eaten in secret? But that's where the dead are, drifting into temptation, drifting into darkness, drifting into things they're gonna later go on to regret. But our promise is that if we follow the light, we will find life. Life is not found in the promises of the world. It doesn't matter how much money someone accumulates, it doesn't matter how many social media followers people have, it doesn't matter how much of an influencer you may be, you can sleep with as many people as humanly possible, and it still comes up short. But the promises of God is that this will lead you to life, true life. And with this in mind, here's a verse that we should all take to heart. Philippians 2.13, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and power to do what pleases Him. Engage with the process, enjoy living in the light. Watch God transform our hearts so that what pleases Him becomes more and more instinctive and natural for us. Get out of the prison and slavery of darkness and into the promises and freedom of the light. Don't aimlessly drift where we're opening ourselves up for temptation and sin, but follow Jesus. Honor Him as Lord and King. Honor Him as the light of the world. The person that wrote John's gospel was John. And John would write a number of other books uh, that we have in the New Testament today. So John was a follower of Jesus. He was there with him. He walked with Jesus, ate with Jesus, ministered with Jesus, saw Jesus do miracles, was a part of doing miracles, Jesus taught them. And John went on to write not only his gospel, which is what we have and what we've been reading in today, but he also went on to write three letters to the early church to help give them correction and try to give them some, uh, teach them some things that they need to know so they could go on to become healthy churches. And then he would also write uh, a book, the last book we have in the Bible called Revelation. And in all of these books, these images and this contrast of light and dark is very present for John. We can see it over and over again. So I wanted to read some more verses in other parts of John's writings where he really drills home this idea of darkness and light. And each of these verses I'm going to share with you, each warrant their own sermon. But I didn't want to end today without looking at these. So going back to the very beginning of John's gospel, this is John setting the stage of this is what's going to come in the rest of this book. So John 1.1. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God and the Word was God. God. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light, but simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. From the start of John's gospel, he wants us to get this image as Jesus illuminating darkness. The darkness does not have the power to extinguish the light of the world. John 3, 16, possibly the most famous verse in the whole Bible. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. Further on in John's gospel, this is after The verse we've been reading today as Jesus was in the temple saying he is the light of the world. John 9, verse 1. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming, and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. Then he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means sent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. All right, five or ten years after John wrote his gospel detailing his experiences of living and working alongside Jesus, he wrote three letters. I want to read a portion from one, First 1 John, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 7. Dear friends, I am not writing a new commandment for you, rather it is an old one you have heard from the very beginning. This old commandment, to love one another, is the same message you heard before. Yet it is also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment, and you also are living it, for the darkness is disappearing, and the true light is already shining. If anyone claims, I am living in the light, but hates a fellow believer, that person is still living in darkness. Anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. But anyone who hates a fellow believer is still living and walking in darkness. Such a person does not know the way to go, having been blinded by the darkness. Now I know we read a lot of verses there, but we read about darkness. People love the darkness more than light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed hating fellow believers means living in darkness darkness is blinding and causes us to not know which way to go but I am the light of the world the word gave light to everyone light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot extinguish the light the darkness is disappearing and the true light is already shining Loving people means living in the light and not causing others to stumble. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He is defeating the darkness, giving us purpose, freedom, and the promise of life, not only here and now, but also into eternity. The last book John wrote, the book of Revelation, is the last book of the Bible. And among many other things, the book of Revelation contains descriptions of what the eternal kingdom of heaven will be like. Towards the end of the book, John describes the supernatural visions that he had of heaven and includes describing heaven being free of any pain, no sorrow, no tears, no sin, absolute complete perfection forever. And John describes what he saw as being like a city. Revelation 21 verse 22, I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb, which is a poetic title for Jesus, are its temple and the city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its light. The nations will walk in its light, and the kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. Its gates will never be closed at the end of the day because there is no night there, and all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. One of the things that upsets me most as a pastor is when someone comes to the church, whatever demographic they're a part of, no matter how rich or how poor, but their life is just in chaos. Complete dysfunction, relational dysfunction, or just a dysfunctional person. But they come to church. They have an encounter with God. They make a decision. They make a commitment. I'm going to follow Jesus. And they're saved. They make a decision. They're committed to Him. They're going to be in heaven one day. But their life continues to be in complete disarray. Their life continues to be completely chaotic. Whatever it is they need to confront, whatever darkness they need to get themselves out of, they just stay right where they are. And the dysfunctional things, the chaotic things just continue. It's one of the toughest things to watch and be a part of as a pastor. There's a call for believers to pray and seek and build our lives so that it's on earth as it is in heaven to live today in the light, to start breaking free and getting out of the darkness. There are people that have an opportunity to get out of the darkness, whatever the details may be, that they can find escape and true freedom by following Jesus, rebuilding lives, walking in the light and finding life. Just this week, Megan and I crossed paths with someone we've gotten to know briefly, and we know some of their story and it's heartbreaking. A lot of tragedy, a lot of bad decisions, a lot of darkness. But we saw them this week, and they told us how they'd recently got promoted at work. We also know that they started a romantic relationship recently with someone that's awesome. They're doing really well at their church. They'd gotten out of the darkness, and they're starting to see the promises of the light come to pass in their lives. They've come from a dark beginning but they found purpose, meaning, and hope when they responded to the call from Jesus, follow me. It's another example. This person is another example in a very long list of examples that it is possible to escape the darkness and live in the light. The darkness, that's where laziness, cynicism, shame, hypocrisy, hopelessness, and fear dwells and festers. The negative impact of the darkness affects everything about someone's life. Unhealthy habits become addictions in the darkness. Negative patterns of behavior become cycles that are impossible to break. Relationships are destroyed because of what happens in secrecy. No one likes the harvest of what we get when we sow in the darkness. And though it appears we're stuck, though it may appear it's culturally normal, even though we may not question it, Jesus comes and says, follow me, the light of the world, and you can live in freedom. This then presents us with a choice. A casual response to all this cannot possibly be the answer. We need a determination and a lifelong commitment, a personal investment to reorientate our entire lives. The best way I could think to sum this up is we need to reject the darkness and love the light We need to resent the empty promises of the world that will inevitably drag us down. To have a determination to break free. Wishy-washy sentimentality is not the answer. Treating Jesus like an add-on to our busy schedules is not the answer. A soft, gentle, casual commitment doesn't match the escape we need to make. Get angry at all that the darkness has stolen from you. Acknowledge the devastation that sin has brought in your life. Then start breathing in relief that there's a new day. And God's mercies are new every morning. Set your eyes and focus on Jesus. Follow Him. And when we follow Him, let's truly follow Him. Let's trust his teaching. Let's put it into practice. Let's forgive and be kind. Let's care about others and do something that helps people get out of their darkness. Let's embrace the light, embrace the peace that comes from following Jesus. Be aware that the world is persuasive And it's always easier to go with the flow. But normal is not working. The world is drifting. The current is strong. But anyone that takes a step back can see it is not pulling people towards joy and hope and freedom, but misery and emptiness. And in that environment, Jesus steps up and says, but I am the light of the world. I'm the light of the world gives purpose, if you follow me. The light of the world brings freedom. You won't have to walk in darkness, and the light of the world makes a promise. You will have the light that leads to life. Reject the darkness, and love the light. I've got a couple of questions for you, maybe helpful for you to write this down if you're a part of one of our summer small groups, um, and it may not be too late to sign up if you're not in one already, but I know you're going to be going through this this week write this down, maybe it's something to talk about with your spouse after church today. But the first thing, have you got the right perspective of the darkness and the light? Do you have the right perspective? Are you angry, are you frustrated, are you done, do you resent all that the darkness is stealing from you? Are you angry that chaos is still reigning in your life? Are you got that determination and that fire of Jesus, I'm following you because I believe your promise that you are the light and that leads to life. Do you have that perspective that you're done with darkness and you wanna embrace all that God has for you, all that's in that promise of life? Have you got the right perspective of the darkness and the light? Second question, what's one or two things that are keeping you in the darkness? Now here's a reality, everyone will have something. Not me of course, but everyone else. Just don't ask Megan to verify. Everyone each and every one of us will have something that's keeping us in the darkness that has a hook What's one or two things you may have a long list of things? for the sake of manageability identify one two and Start working on those Start praying how you can break free from that get help if you need help Confess to someone if you need to ask for forgiveness if you need to but take the brave step to get into the light what's one or two things that are keeping you in the darkness and if you're feeling awkward right now, it's because you already know what I'm talking about. I may not know what it is, but you know because that's what the Lord is bringing to your mind. What's one or two things that are keeping you in the darkness? John eight twelve, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. You may be here today, and you may have never heard the message of Jesus before. You may have been in church every week all your life, but for whatever reason, today something made sense. I don't know your story. I don't know what brought you to church today, but you're here. This is the message you're listening to. This is the worship team that's been leading us this morning. This is the day that God's got you in this church on this morning, and I believe he's bringing people home. And if you're here and you've never made that decision to follow Him, to trust Him, that He is the light of the world, my friend, I can tell you it is life-changing. Almost 20 years ago now, I made the decision to follow Jesus as a young man at 19 years old. I made that decision. And it is the best decision I have ever made. In the last 20 years, I've had ups, I've had downs, but I have never once regretted my decision to follow Jesus. And I want to give that same invitation to you today. In a moment, I'm going to ask everyone to close their eyes and bow their heads. We're going to give an opportunity for people to raise their hand. When we pray, we're going to pray together. We're not going to do anything that's going to embarrass anybody. We're not going to make you feel awkward. We're not going to do anything that's going to make you regret putting your hand up at the end of service. But I want to give you an opportunity to say, yes, when you pray, please include me. So if you wouldn't mind just closing your eyes and bowing your heads, it's just to give privacy and discretion to everyone around you. But if you're ready, if you're at that point, if God has brought you to that point where you know that, you know that the message of Jesus is for real, you know that he is the son of God that loves you in an indescribable way, he went to the cross for you, and three days later he rose again from the grave, conquering the power of sin and death once and for all. And you're ready to put your faith and confidence in him and follow him to get out of darkness and into light. If you're ready to make that decision today, could you just put your hand in the air just so I know who I'm praying for? amen anybody else here thank you anyone else amen come on anyone else here anyone else wonderful amen amen i'm gonna pause for a moment if this is your moment if this is the day where it all turns around for you i would love to take a moment and pray when we pray together to know that you're included anyone else here before we pray Awesome. Amen. Come on, Word of Life. Let's celebrate. People making the best decision any one of us could ever make. Oh, awesome. Amen. We do this at the end of every single service. We pray a prayer together. The words are on the screen. I want to invite everyone here to pray. And if you're one of those people that put your hand up believing that this is the moment where you can go from darkness to light, pray this, believing there's power in this prayer. So come on, everybody. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. I want to follow you. I invite you to be Lord of my life. Help me follow you every day. I want to leave my old life of sin behind and heal my broken relationship with God. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, one more time. Let's celebrate with everybody making that great decision today. Amen.